God's Word comes to us from uh, the book of Romans. We're starting in verse 21. We're going all the way through verse 31 uh, today. Hear the word of the Lord. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. Lord, I pray this morning that as Ryan comes forth and preaches to us, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you would have uh, said through him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Oh, man, my heart's already full. Uh, I've already felt like I'm filled up with God's Word. So hopefully I have something to share with you from God's Word today that'll be helpful for you. Uh, I think, you know, in general, I think this is probably the most game-changing passage of Scripture in all of the Bible. Um, and so I want to lean into that uh, with you this morning. Um, I do want to bring some, I want to make a little pitch for you real quick, though. Um, and uh, if I can do that, can I use a little bit of my time for that? It's just to say, like, hey, if you're new to New City, like, we're so thankful that you're here. Um, this, what we do on Sundays in our corporate worship gatherings is significant, it's important, but it is not the only thing we do. In fact, when we started this church, we knew that, that Lawrenceville did not need just another worship gathering to go to. Amen? What we need is a community of believers that are on mission together, experiencing the transformation of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God with one another. And so that's why we do this thing called Pastor's Coffee. It's not because uh, I, I love to hear myself talk or anything like that. It's, it's because we want to help you get on that journey with us. We know that it is so uh, challenging to come into the life of a new church full of strangers, and we want you to experience the community that has changed all of us. And so if you haven't been to Pastor's Coffee or not in a group, we would love for you to come next week. Next Sunday, there's ways to sign up. You can visit the engagement uh, uh, counter out there, and they can help you get uh, signed up for that. Everybody get it? That's when you say, got it. Let's try it again. Everybody get it? There we go. Let's go. All right, so uh, we've been studying the book of Romans uh, for quite some time now. Um, 
and it's been beautiful. It's been, it's been this argument that's been building, that's been sharing with us about the, uh, the reason why the world is so broken. Um, and it's because of the pervasiveness of sin all in the world. Um, things are not going well in the world. That's where we're at in the argument that Paul is uh, presenting to us. And so I, I was thinking about this this week, and I really think that, that if I, I want to have the same uh, presuppositional assumption uh, uh, on, on how um, Paul is making this argument, because if we're all starting in different places, the book of Romans won't be as helpful for us. So here's the assumption that we're making uh, today. We're, we're, the assumption we're making is that we're on the same page about the answer to two different questions. The first one is this, who is God? And the second one is this, who am I? And these are, the, these are the two most important questions that any of us could ever spend time trying to explore and trying to answer. So what, what has Paul been saying about uh, who is God? Um, Paul's been making this argument that God is perfect, that he's just, uh, that he's holy, that he has expectations for us because we are made in his image. We are his. And it's a holy standard to live by that none of us can live up to because of sin. And this is actually the first part of the gospel. If we don't believe that that is who God is, the book of Romans will show little hope for us today. Well, the second question is this, who am I? Uh, we are made in God's image. You are made to reflect him with all that you are, with all that you do, reflect his character, reflect many of his attributes that he shares with us, his heart, and his life to this world. But you and I have fallen because of sin is what Paul has been saying. And you may be very aware of that this morning, your fallen condition, like me. I'm very aware of that this morning. Or you may be in a place where you're not quite as aware of that. Well, Paul is answering uh, these two questions. Who is God and who are we? Now, what are we gonna do about that? Um, and some of you guys have seen this diagram before. It was produced by the Navigators back in the day. It's called the Bridge Diagram. And I think it's really helpful for us this morning to think about this. Um, basically, what, what Paul is saying is this right here, that, that God is full of holy and abundant life. It's who he is. And we are filled with sin, seeking to be filled with, uh, with, with whatever will, will um, uh, produce some relief in us uh, from the pain that we feel because of sin. And we're trying to answer this question, how can I be made right with God? And Paul's been talking in this journey, he's been talking about the brokenness of trusting your good works to get you there, that, that they may get you almost there, but they're never gonna get you there, or trusting your religion. For us, maybe trusting the fact that we've been in church forever, we know all the motions and movements and all the words. That won't get you there. You know, whether it be philosophy or your own moral uh, ability uh, to produce something of an effect that looks like godliness, that won't get you there either. They all fall short, is what Paul's saying, of the glory of God that you were made for. And this argument that Paul's presenting is that there is another way to live, friends. There's another way to live. It's through faith. In Christ, there's, you know, you can complete the little bridge there. You can draw it up however you want to, but this is the argument that Paul is making for us today. And he's been, he's been helping us see just how wide the gap is, hasn't he, uh, over the last several weeks. And today we get to look at how uh, the way that he has made for us through faith 
in Christ. And I think to, to, to be a Christian is to feel this way to some degree, that at some place on your journey, we, we, feel, um, we feel the gap, right? We, we feel the gap of what we long to become, but we know is true of ourselves. I was thinking this this week, you know, it's kind of like every superhero story is the same. Now, some of you just canceled me, but bear with me. Work with me here. It's some human being that's super amped up in their humanity um, that, that helps them defeat the evil villain, whatever that is, um, that helps us kind of get across the gap by our own strength by flying on a web or flying in the air or having this supernatural strength. But the bottom line is this, that it's up to us to find a way to beat the enemy that, that, that's up against us. So we create something that's not possible to entertain us in our struggle. And, uh, you know, we create these fantasy stories that entertain us, that give us hope that the human condition can somehow be redeemed in our own strength. And it can't. But the good news is there is another way, and this is what Paul lets us in on today. Today, my one ambition is to show, show, you, and, and, and to show you where to find relief from your struggle. The world is a condemning place, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's a condemning place, and our hearts are conditioned to be condemned. Everyone is a part of the problem, friends, and no one is a part of the solution that will actually save you. And, uh, and, and the, the relief that, 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 that the Lord provides for us is, is interesting because it's the, the harder we try to relieve the burden ourselves, the more burden that we add. Surrender to God is the only way of hope. So here's our big idea today. The hardest thing that we will ever do in life, this is exactly what Brandon was talking about, is receiving the gift of justification by faith alone. So here, I got two parts of the sermon today. The first one is this, receiving the gift and then living out of that gift. So let's look at receiving this amazing gift of justification by faith alone. So to, to kind of talk about this, there is a lot of Bible words here, okay? Lots of very important theological, doctrinally rooted words that I want to do my best to explain to you. We're going to be hitting at them throughout the book of Romans, but we're going to get a cursory look of them today. So the question that we're seeking to ask today is, how does God justify us? We, we, we Remember, we have this assumption, this baseline assumption that we are separated from a holy God because of our sin. So the question is, how do we right that wrong? What is the way forward? So how does God justify us? If you're a note taker, he does this by making a way giving us the gift and paying the price. So let's look at Romans chapter three, verses 21 and 22. God justifies us by making a way because he is revealing his righteousness apart from our works. So Romans three twenty-one and 22 says this, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. So here's the first thing that we notice, that God has made a way to redeem us that has nothing to do with our ability to be righteous on our own. Now, let that sit for just a second, because most of you believe that up here, but you do not believe that in here. This is why we base our own joy in Christ on our own record that we can show to God, right? Our own kind of resume that we can show to him. But what he's saying is that the law, the, 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 
you know, the, the law of Moses, the Old Testament, the scriptures, it did two things. The first thing it did is it showed us the standard of, who, of God's character and what is required to be in relationship to him. Like we needed the standard to be established. The second thing that it did because of our fallen nature is it enslaved everything and everyone who couldn't live up to the standard, which Paul says is all of us. So God's word, we need God's word to show us that we are in prison, friends, that there's nothing we can do. So what is this R word? What is righteousness? I, I think we could kind of talk about righteousness in a general sense, and then we'll obviously talk about this in our relationship with God. But righteousness is the fulfillment of expectations within a relationship, right? So we all have expectations of one another, um, and, 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 and when those relationships, sometimes they're in a legal setting, right? We draw out a contract to talk about those relationships. And whenever we live up to the standards of, of what that contract or those expectations, the relationship is right. But when we break the contract, the relationship is unrighteous, right? It is not right. So the law showed us what is required to be right with God, to be righteous on our own. And it's bad news unless there's another way. Righteousness is a validating performance record. Righteousness is the proof that we're enough, that we've got what it takes, that we've lived up to the standard. Again, remember what I said earlier. I'm, my assumption is that you're like me and you feel often like you're not enough. And it's because we're not enough. To be honest, we, we are not enough on our own. The world will try to tell you that you are and you'll go to bed at night feeling like you're not enough because that's the truth about who we are without Jesus is that we are not enough. We long to hear the words of our Father in heaven that he proclaimed over his son Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. We long to hear the well done from our Father in heaven, because we were made for it, friends. You were made to hear that from your Father in heaven, but sin has broken you so bad that you cannot hear it. It's only through faith in what Jesus has done for us that we can hear it. Think about it like a job interview. You give your resume to a potential employer, and it's a record of what you believe to be your righteousness, right? It's a record that you send over and you say, I hope I'm enough. I hope I'm enough. I hope that you will select me. And this is the human condition. This is how we live. We, we live and we, we try to present our righteousness to God and we say, I hope that I'm enough. And we prove and we try to climb and perform our way out of our simple condition and we are stuck. The problem is that we're never certain that our resume is enough for God. And we live that way day in, day out. And that's why our joy fluctuates and our happiness is all over the place. Our only hope on our own is adding to the resume, right? Like a, like a high school senior that joins another club for their resume, right? You're already a part of 27 clubs, but I hope I get into the college, dad. I hope that I am enough. And somehow we, we show our resume to God and others and we, we say, please accept me, I'm enough. And God's word says you'll never be enough on your own. But the amazing news of what we're talking about today is there's another way to live, friends. There's another way to meet the standard. 
And it doesn't matter how well or how bad the things that you've done uh, are, there's another way to be enough. And it sounds too good to be true. And, and friends, if we're understanding the gospel correctly, that's the way it should feel. It seems too good to be true. But it's actually uh, by faith in believing that Jesus is enough in our place, that his righteousness is our righteousness. So we have to believe that the righteousness that God actually requires is delivered in Jesus's life and his death and in his resurrection. If we don't believe that, we will continue to look to our own spiritual resumes for acceptance. And I don't want any of us going to the grave still building our resumes. Yet how many people do you know that do? I know that I need what Jesus offers, right? We know that we need that. We know, we know that we long to be enough and that Jesus is supposed to be enough for us. But how do we get that righteousness that God gives us in Jesus applied to our lives? How does that get put in our account so that we can live out of that? I'm glad you asked. He is justifying us by faith through grace as a gift. There's that word again. So that's, that's our second point here. God is giving us the gift. Romans 23 through 24. The interesting thing is, here, let me just prove to you how broken you are. How many of you have Romans 3.23 memorized? Okay, leave your hand up if you've got it memorized. It's cool. We're not, we're not keeping count. Keep count back there. I'm just kidding. Um, okay, if you have Romans 3.24 memorized, leave your hand up. Y'all see that? From my perspective, it was like 75% of y'all dropped your hands. So, so why would we want to memorize the bad news and not the good news? Because that's how broken we are. That's crazy. I didn't plan for that to happen, by the way, but that's crazy. Why would we want to hear how sinful we are and how fallen we are and not that we're justified by his grace as a gift? It's because it's so hard to receive the gift, isn't it? It's so hard to receive it that we don't even want to memorize the gift of grace that we have in Christ. But now, the most beautiful words in the Bible, and these words indicate that there are two things that are true for us. Romans 3.21 says, but now, there's this other way, right? Part one is the verdict. We've been talking about that. All of sin falls short of the glory of God. That's the verdict that's in our life. We have to believe that that's the verdict. Part two is the gift. Romans 3.24 we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption of Christ that is received by faith. There are two parts to the gospel. Most of us believe the first one. Most of us don't live the second one. We don't, we don't receive the gift. And we need to believe both parts of the gospel to dwell securely and joyfully in Jesus. We need the awareness that God knows the secrets that we hide in in our fallen condition. We need to know that he knows the intentions of our hearts because the enemy says, hey, look, they don't know who you really are. But guess what? God does. God knows who I am because he made me. He knows every intention of my heart, right? We need to know that we can't hide. But also we need to know that even in spite of that, that rottenness that lives inside of us, that there's a way to be whole in God again. Both and are true. You are Romans 3.23, and you have the opportunity to receive Romans 3.24. Both of them are true for us. And friends, let me just say this as an aside. When Scripture gives us a both and to a situation, we should never settle for an either or. 
We should never settle for Romans 3.23 without Romans 3.24. But how much of our lives do we do that? We should never settle for that. Here's the craziest thing. The the hardest thing to receive, um, this is the hardest thing to receive because of our superhero mentality, and it keeps getting in the way. There are two ways to understand salvation. I'm gonna use some big theological words for you because they're good ones you should probably know. Synergism versus monergism. I told you there were big words. Uh, synergism. So, so as you think about that bridge diagram and that gap, you got that in your mind, and we try all these ways to get across it. Synergism is what uh, we functionally believe in our flesh, um, we, that, that we reach across to God, that we cooperate with him for our salvation, and he reaches across and meets us halfway. And so the problem with this view is, is that it sounds great, but how, how do we ever know that we're reaching far enough across to get his hand, right? And how do we know how far he's gonna reach to us to come get us? Yet we live this way when we continue to build our resumes. There's another way to live. Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. What's that mean? You couldn't get across at all. That's what it means. So God must reach all the way across to us in our spiritual decay to give us a new heart that is able to respond to the gift of salvation. If you're in here and you're a believer, it doesn't matter how far you thought you reached across. You were dead in your sins and trespasses, and God did all the work to bring you to himself. You know why that's really good news? Because if he did all the work, we are secure. All the work is done. What were Jesus' last words on the cross? It is finished. The work is done. We don't have to build these resumes any longer. We want to contribute something to our salvation, right? It's like Brandon was talking about the gift giving and receiving. We, we want to give back, but it actually gets in the way of receiving the gift of salvation. We can't take hold of the gift with full hands. You have to let go of your own righteousness to receive the righteousness of Christ. You have to take off the old self to be able to put on the new self. Yet we live as if we should be doing both. So what is this J word, justification? So if we're justified through faith alone in what Jesus has done for us, what does that mean? What has God done? Well, justification is a declaration whereby God declares that unjust sinners are just. So imagine kind of a courtroom, like a decision comes down, a legal declaration. It's not a conversation between you and God. It's not a test, and it's not just a hope. It is a declaration, a pronouncement that unjust sinners who deserve God's wrath and displeasure for all of eternity have been made right with God through faith. One of my Bible teachers uh, described it like this, and maybe you've heard this before. Justification is like this. It's just as if I never sinned. Like he would say it like that, but I'm like, you gotta add Romans 3.24 to this thing too, man. It's good news too. It's not just as if I never sinned, but it's just as if I always obeyed. Do you see the difference? It's not that God just clears your account, but he fills it up too with the righteousness of Christ. So that pronouncement on our lives is a gift that's given to all who believe from our Father in heaven. 
In our flesh, we're so awkward at receiving gifts. We think about giving back, but there's nothing that we could ever give that would even come close. And in fact, it will get in the way of you enjoying the gift that Christ is, your righteousness. So, so how does God justify us? He makes a way, he gives a gift, and he pays the price, right? Let me read Romans 3.24 through 3.26 for you here. He says, we're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, that's a big word, by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be both the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So what is the price that Jesus paid to ransom us from our debt to sin? You know, what would be the buy it now price of Jesus's ransom life, right? How, how would we describe it? Well, it's higher than we could ever imagine. Because, because Jesus, well, let me define propitiation first and I'll tell you about that. Propitiation, another big word for us today, but it's a Bible word, so we gotta lean into it, right? We gotta lean into it, we gotta know what it means. Propitiation means averting the wrath of God by the offering of a gift that satisfies the demands of righteousness. So remember, God's wrath is on us, and it's not like God, because he's just, can't just say, well, I'm just gonna forgive that. There had to be a ransom to be paid because God is just. So what does he do? He expiated or removed our guilt the, the guilt of God's wrath, the stain of sin on us. He had to remove that, like a bad stain in the carpet, except way worse, right? He had to remove that from our lives by propitiating or pointing it at Jesus. So God takes all of our guilt and all of our sin, and he aims it squarely at his son on the cross. And it's not only what you did before you professed faith in Jesus, it's not only the sins of those that lived before Jesus came. It is the past, the present, and the future sins that every follower of Jesus will ever think or commit in this world. That's how bad the wrath of God that was pointed at Jesus was. It was so bad that it separated him from his Father in heaven. The world wants us to live like no one is accountable to God that there's just an empty place that all of this sin kind of goes to, and at the end of the day, it's just all good. That's what the world wants you to believe. But the scriptures point over and over and over again that everyone will be accountable to God for everything they've ever thought or done. And the good news is, is that Jesus is sufficient for it all, friends. Because of the Father's love, Jesus has offered his life in the place of our life. And his sacrifice has fully and finally settled the debt of our sin forever. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he, the Father, made him, Jesus, to be sin. He didn't make him to come and just hang out with sinners. He didn't send Jesus to come and just kind of know what sin was like in the world, you know, give a report to the Father. God, the Father, out of his love for us, as John 3.16 says, sent his son to become sin. The worst of it, everything that you want to hide, 
everything that you've become, Jesus became it all. In effect, Jesus was the worst sinner by a long shot to ever walk this, the face of this planet. And I know some of you are calling me a heretic right now, but work with me. If he took all of our sin and he became sin for all of those who would believe in his father and in his life, Jesus was the worst sinner that ever walked the face of the planet. He became sin. God made Jesus to be sin in our place. And on the cross, all of that sin that every single one of God's children have ever and will ever commit, he owned it all. For us to pay the price for our sin again by building a resume to try to prove that we have something to give to God is meaningless. Friends, you are free if you are in Christ. Well, how do we become Christians? How do we get a life that's in Christ? By faith, by actually believing that what God says about what his son has done for you is actually true. The resume is then out the window for those who would believe. But not only that, by faith alone, God does this amazing thing. This is uh, another little theological term, triple imputation, big phrase. Maybe we should get some T-shirt. Children of the triple imputation. Maybe that'll work. But, you know, we, 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 we think about, okay, some of you think, okay, it's not fair. Why was I born into this world a sinner before I ever did anything? You know, because God, because Adam's sin was imputed to us, it was directed to us, it was given to us, we inherited it. We said, that's not fair. Well, the second part of this is that all of our sin was imputed to Christ through faith. Jesus doesn't say that's not fair, though he, he wrestles with God, he goes to the cross. But the, the beauty of the resurrection is that sin and that guilt and that shame goes straight to the cross, never to be resurrected again for those who would believe. So what do we get? We get all of Christ's righteousness imputed to us, filling our accounts. He made him to be no sin so that we might become the righteousness. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so we might become the righteousness of Christ. So it's not, it's not, we don't have to walk around as those guilty, broken sinners. That is true. But what is more true is that we are the beloved children of God filled with the righteousness of Christ. But the hardest thing you and I will ever do is to live out of that gift. So how do we learn to live out of that gift? Well, the only way to live out of the gift is to receive it with open hands, not full hands. We don't know how to depend on righteousness by faith until we truly believe it's all we have. Have you ever received a really good gift before? I think you have to know what it's like to be in debt to know what it's like to receive a really good gift, to be honest with you. When I was in college, I, like many of you, had to take out student loans with the understanding that I would actually have to pay them back. I know that's too soon. It's too soon. But um, initially, I was pretty frugal. But then by the second year, I realized that I could go to the student accounts services uh, building, and I could request a draw. <laughs> you know, it was made to pay for books or meals or whatever you need, uh, whatever the expenses were. Well, let's just say at one point it got out of hand. And I know you guys are thinking with the motorcycle story that I shared with you a few weeks ago, like, man, those were a bad couple years financially. They were, they were bad. Praise God for grace, right? Um, and so, you know, it, I, I, made a, I made a judgment call. Um, and, uh, you know, I've always been a guy who loves the lake. I don't know 
about you guys. I love to go out on the lake. I love to have a, a great time. And I found this really good deal on a jet ski, like one that you couldn't pass up, you know? And so, uh, so I made a judgment call, right? And, uh, and it was a poor judgment call, but it was a judgment call. And I purchased that jet ski with student loan money. <laughs> it was an awesome summer, right? It was great. Well, <clears throat> it was great until I had to start paying back the student loans. And, uh, you know, fast forward a couple years, I was uh, getting married in a few days, and my mom had come out to Las Vegas. This will be really fun in the second service when she's here. She'd come out to Las Vegas, and she was like, hey, I want to give you a gift. And I was like, oh, awesome. I love gifts. You know, I'm not one of those guys who doesn't like gifts. I like gifts. And I'm like, okay, mom, what do you want to do? And she goes, actually, you know, I've been thinking, you know, you guys are trying to get started here. I, I want to take your student loans off of you. You know, I want to I I absorb the debt that you've incurred to be well-educated so you can become a pastor. And, uh, you know, I know you've, you've worked a job. You've done everything you can to really make this happen. And, uh, and I'm just feeling like I'm sinking as she's telling me this. I'm like, I got to tell her. I got to tell her. I got to tell her. And so I'm, I stop her. I'm like, Mom, I have some bad. I'm like, thank you. That's awesome. I love it. But I have some really honest and bad news I got to share with you. I was like, you know that jet ski that I, that I got that I, you know, worked really hard to get? Well, I used a lot of the money from my student loan to buy that jet ski. And without skipping a beat, she says, I don't care. I want to pay for it. And I thought, Phew. I'm like, but mom, you don't understand. Like, you don't understand. Like, I, no, I, I literally took out money. They thought I was going to use it for school. And I bought a jet ski. Here's the title for it right here, right? You know, she said, I don't care. I want to take your student loan off your hands and I want to help you guys out. But the grace that she exhibited to me in that moment humbled me so deeply. It was so challenging to receive that gift, especially as I watched my mother grind and work hard to pay off something that I had done so recklessly. That's exactly what it's like to receive the gift of salvation in Christ, friends. As we, as we think about all that we've accumulated over the years, all of the mistakes that we've made, all of the pain that we've caused to God and to others, and he comes in and he knows it all. The hardest thing for us is receiving this gift. And redemption with empty hands is how we learn to do this. Romans 3.23 says this. It says that we were made for the glory of God. Not just to honor his glory, to, but to receive his glory and to bear his glory. Remember what Romans 3.23 says? For all have sinned and fallen short of what? The glory of God. If we've fallen short of the glory of God, it must mean that we were made to live in the glory of God, to live for the glory of God, to bear and resemble and reflect the glory of God that his glory might be reflected in how we live. <clears throat> so because we are justified by faith and not works, his redemption is applied to our lives by faith. So what's it look like for us to live out the glory of God? What's it look like? Romans 3, 27 says this. So what becomes of our boasting is excluded. And Paul goes on to talk about some other things I'm not gonna have time to get to today, but but he's, basically he says, okay, like I used to boast. I used to put my resume up everywhere I went because I needed to prove myself. He says, boasting is now out the window. And I think it's in Philippians, he'll go on to, to kind of list the whole resume. And he says, it's all rubbish, it's excrement. 
It's worth nothing compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. He says, boasting is now excluded. It's not about us anymore. When the debt is forgiven, our resume doesn't matter anymore, friends. It's not about our broken ways of searching for glory. It's not about how bad we broke the law or even how good we tried to be all those years. All of that is dealt with at the cross. No boast in self, he says. Why? Because my best achievements and my worst failures have no bearing on who I am to God. Isn't that good news? We have fallen short of glory, but now our glory is being restored through faith, and it will be restored throughout all eternity. In fact, kind of the final kind of piece of uh, the, on our journey of sanctification and salvation, what's the final stop for us that we will have what kind of bodies? Glorified bodies, right? The glory will finally and fully be restored. But Paul argues that even now, the glory is being restored in us. But it's not until we actually believe <clears throat> that we've been glory grabbing all these years at things that'll never lead to glory that we are able to receive this glory. So how do we sinfully kind of grab for glory? Well, we search and we hunt for meaning anywhere but in Jesus. Friends, more than anything else in the world, what I want you to know today is that God has designed you for that glory that you long for. In fact, in Christ, here's what 2 Corinthians 3 says about that journey. He says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, and by, by the way, the Spirit dwells in every believer. It's not some kind of like extra thing that has to happen in your life. The scriptures say that when we profess faith, we are filled with the Spirit of God. Okay, so the Lord, where the Lord, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. You've heard that before, but listen to what he says about glory. He says, and we all, with unveiled faces, a reference to Moses here, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So what is actively happening in every believer right now? We are being what? Transformed from what? One degree of glory to another degree of glory, from one degree of worth and purpose and value to another because God has restored glory in our lives. And he sent us on this journey to becoming fully and finally his in all of eternity. And you need to know this today. You fell short of the glory of God, but Jesus did not. The most true thing about a Christian is that God's glory, his worth, his presence, his power, his value rest on your life just like it did in the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament, friends. That is what lives inside of you right now. And what we do as we share life together is we draw out the glory of God that God has placed in us as we, as we seek uh, to, to draw out the kingdom and, and all that God is doing in our midst. His glory is something that we learn to discover and excavate over time as we share life with one another because we were born with it. God's put a spirit inside of us so that we may discover it more and more and more. The greatest joy that we'll have in this life is living under the glory of God, the well done of our Father in heaven that comes to us by receiving the gift of justification, not by works, but faith alone. So what would it look like for you 
to more fully receive that gift today, friend? Do you truly believe that you're worthy of it? Do you just sit back and say, God, that's good for you, but I'm going to go on and build my resume next week. I've got the plan. Look at my schedule. What would it look like for you to empty your hands today so that you can more fully receive the gift that God desires to give you in Jesus Christ? What God has made worthy, no one can ever determine unworthy. God does not de-justify people. He only justifies by grace as a gift, and that work, friend, can never, ever be undone. And our ability to extend the gift of glory to those that we love and we share life with is contingent upon us receiving the gift more deeply. May we receive it with full hearts of expectation that we indeed are worthy of the gift because of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we want to come to you today as those that actually believe that we're worthy of the gift of your glory being restored through the work of Jesus. Father, I just confess to you on behalf of your people here at New City that we, we come to you with full hands often, that we come to you with all of this stuff that we, we think you're really gonna like, like a, like a kindergarten art project, Lord, but really what we want, what you want is us. And so, Father, we teach us this week, Lord, teach us this moment to empty our hands, to truly walk by faith, to receive the gift that you've given us in Jesus, the best news in the world, but now there's another way to be made right with God. So, Father, as we turn to this table, would you meet us deeply this morning. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, Pastor Ryan here. We're so glad that you've tuned in with us and watched one of our online sermons. Our vision as a church is to live as the family of God together, proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of grace to one another in our city. If you don't have a church home or you're looking for a church, we'd invite you to attend one of our in-person worship gatherings so you can experience all that God has for us as a community of believers on mission.